Well, good evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Fathers, we come to you this evening. It is good to be in your house, and Lord, I'm thankful that we can be here tonight. I pray that you'd bless this time together, God, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts and help us to uh, be willing to uh, give attention to the Word and to adhere and to obey uh, what your Word says. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remember a few weeks ago we were looking in Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, we're getting get there in just a minute, but uh, anyways, we were looking in Nehemiah chapter 9 and we watched as the children of Israel acknowledged that in spite of everything that God had blessed them with, of all the bounty that they had enjoyed, they were not able to enjoy it uh, in the way that it was designed to, to give them the pleasure. And it was because of their sin, it was because of their disobedience, and you may remember that they talked about how the punishment of God was just, that what he had done to them, it was right, and it was something that they were worthy of. And they talked about how it was their wickedness, once more, that got them in the position they were in. And so we watched in the last part of verse number 9, is the chapter 9, that they said they were going to enter into a covenant with the Lord. So in chapter 10, we watched as that covenant was explained, and some of what they said they were going to do was they were going to obey God's word. They were going to honor the Lord's day. They were not going to give their children to the unbelievers or to the non-Jews. And then they said they would not forsake the house of the Lord, nor uh, would they neglect the needs of the house of the Lord. They were going to make sure that the needs of the house of the Lord were met. And as we watched as Israel entered into this covenant with God, we spoke or we looked at uh, how they were motivated by nothing except the desire to live in obedience to his word. And so the only motivation they had was obedience to God's word. And I talked about last week how there are so many people who in the midst of making a mess of their lives, they decide, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get right. We're going to get involved in the house of the Lord. We're going to make sure that our kids are where they're supposed to be. And they go through all these uh, promises that they're going to commit. And the problem with so many of these situations is that the motivation is really, I'm going to do all these things in hopes that my life turns around and gets better. And I tried to remind us that motivation matters. What, what prompts a person to do right matters, and it ought to be that people desire to do right simply because it's right and for no other reason. And so we looked at that last week, and this evening we're going to move on. As we do, we're going to begin this evening in Deuteronomy chapter 23. So you can begin finding your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 23. This will only be for a point of reference. I'm not going to preach this. We're just going to read this in a couple of moments. But as you're finding your place there tonight, I want you to think about something. We know this to be true. Uh, sometimes things have to be done that people may not necessarily want to do. You understand that principle? That sometimes things have to be done that people may not necessarily want to do, at least not if they're a normal person. What do I mean? Well, what am I talking about? Well, this evening, for just a moment, I want us to think about a small child. I want us to think about an infant, maybe a toddler. And here's what we know. If an infant or a toddler gets sick, there's a good chance that at some point that toddler or that infant is going to make a mess, right? And you can just kind of let your imagination wander on what kind of a mess a sick child might make. And as a result of the mess that that child might make, here's what you know, it has to be cleaned up. 
Now, now, nobody is ever looking at a situation like that saying, this is wonderful, this is fantastic, I love cleaning this kind of stuff up. Man, it's been way too long, honey, isn't this great? I just love getting to engage in this. No, nobody looks at that and says, man, this is good, but it's something that has to be done, so therefore it gets done, right? Okay, you understand that. Uh, something like this may happen, something like this may occur, where, where maybe a pipe is busted under a home. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of that. But whenever a pipe busts under the home, it, it makes a mess. It's just something that, that does not end well, usually, or it does not at least create the most desirable circumstance. And, and nobody is looking at the underneath of that home with all the mud and whatever the problems may be, saying, isn't this wonderful? It's been way too long since I've crawled under my house. It's been way too long since I've got to play in the mud underneath the house. Nobody ever looks at that and says, I'm so happy and, and this is a great day. But they understand this is what has to be done, so they just go ahead and do it. Again, because it's just got to be done. Now, I know that those are not necessarily the best examples in the world, but I'm trying to illustrate this simple point that all through our lives, here's what's going to happen. We're going to be put in positions where things have to be done that we didn't sign up for, but we know it has to be done. It's, it's, it's just got to be done. It's a part of life. We're, we're in agreement with that, right? All right. So that in mind, understanding that sometimes things have to be done that you would not necessarily desire for them to be uh, a part of your life, I want us to look now in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Again, we're just going to read a couple of verses of Scripture for the sake of reference. And notice there in verse number 3 what it says. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when ye came forth out of Egypt... And because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse you, nevertheless the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their, prosper nor their prosperity, all thy days forever." It's a pretty clear set of instructions, is it not? For the children of Israel, as it related to their relationship with the Ammonites and the Moabites, it clearly says this, that they shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter. Then in verse number 6, Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. And where did this originate from? Where did this command come from? Or why was this command given? Because it says in verses number 4 and 5, because of how they, the Ammonites and the Moabites, treated you while in the wilderness. And those are events are recorded. Those events are recorded in the book of Numbers. Okay, so keep all that in mind that what happened in the book of Numbers is now referenced in the book of Deuteronomy, and that is something that was supposed to be observed forever on the part of the Israelites. So that being said, turn now to Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, turn now to Nehemiah.
I guess because I never preach out of Deuteronomy, I'm excited to say the word. I don't know what the problem is, but anyways. So now we're in Deuteronomy. <laughs> ah, goodness. I'm sure glad I can edit this mess. Anyways. So now we're in Nehemiah chapter 13, and for the remainder of the service, if I say Deuteronomy, don't go back there, okay? Stay in Nehemiah regardless of what I say. So now you're in Nehemiah chapter 13. We're skipping verses or chapters 11 and 12 because what that gives you is some historical context. What it gives you is an understanding of how the reestablishment of Jerusalem was going to take place. But let's keep in mind that Israel is in the midst of the dedication of the wall. They're in the midst of a celebration. They're in the midst of trying to get made right with God. They're in the midst of doing all these things. And so notice in verse number 1 what it says in chapter 13. It says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. So what are they doing? They are reading the law of God that was given to the children of Israel. So they are reading in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and notice where they happened to be reading. Now how this worked, I don't know. How God designed it, only God could have done this. But it says, And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. So what we just read in Deuteronomy, this is what the children of Israel are now reading in, the, in their day in what we call chapter 13 of Nehemiah. And so they are reading the law, they are reading the words of Moses, the book of Moses, that the Moabites and the Ammonites are not to come into the congregation of God forever. So what does that mean? It just means this, that the people from these two nations, from these two people groups, they are to never be allowed into the religious activity or a part of the religious service of the children of Israel. They had forever been banned from the congregation of God. Now that sounds a little bit harsh, does it not? It sounds a little bit harsh to say that forever these people groups and these nations have been banned from the congregation of God. But in verse number 2, they're reminded as to why that ban was put in place and as to why those words have been spoken. It says, "...because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water." But hired Balaam against them that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. So, exactly again, what we just read in Deuteronomy is what they are reading on this particular day. And as you think about that, here is what you have to kind of conclude based on the context, and we'll see this in a moment, is that in their land and in their region, there must have been some descendants from the people of Ammon and from the people of Moab. So just because we're dealing with Jerusalem and just because we're dealing with the children of God does not mean that there were not some Ammonites and some Moabites by way of descendants still in the region, still in the territory. And we'll deal with that more in just a moment. But, but I want us to think about this. As the children of Israel are reading this in Nehemiah 13, what we're calling Nehemiah 13, I want us to think about this. How many years have passed from the events of Numbers to what Nehemiah and the Israelites were dealing with in that day? How many years have passed? Well, it's impossible to know exactly, but we are talking about hundreds and hundreds 
of years. Now, now that's important for this reason. Think about this. You've got all through the book of Judges that has passed, and that in itself is hundreds of years. And then you've got the years of the kings and all the reigns that the kings enjoyed and the hundreds of years that would have taken place in that. And so you've got all these hundreds of years that have passed and you've got Moabites and Ammonites still in the land dwelling seemingly amongst the children of Israel in what would be, it appears to be, a peaceful relationship, at least a relationship where the aggression is not as serious as it once was. So if hundreds of years have passed, answer these questions. How many of the Jews that were present in Nehemiah's day, how many of those Jews had been refused the basic necessities of bread and water from the hands of the Ammonites or the Moabites? That answer would be none of them, right? The Jews that were present in Nehemiah's day, they had never been refused the bread and the water from the Moabites or the Ammonites. Of the Jews that were present in Nehemiah's day, answer this question. How many of them had had a king try to get a man of God to issue a curse upon them so as to try to do harm to them, again, from the hand of the Ammonites or the Moabites? Well, the answer would be zero. You following this? Again, this is kind of important, all right? So the children of Israel who were alive in Nehemiah's day, they had never really been abused or afflicted in the manner in which it's being spoken of in verse number 2. What happened in the past is definitely in the past by hundreds of years ago. The children of Israel have not been wronged by those nations in, in recent days or years. So that being said, consider this. How many of the Ammonites and how many of the Moabites had refused kindness to the children of Israel in Nehemiah's day? That would be zero. See, if the Israelites hadn't suffered from the hands of the Moabites or the Ammonites, then that would indicate the Ammonites and the Moabites had not done them harm. The Ammonites and the Moabites of Nehemiah's day had never tried to hire a, a man of God to issue a curse upon the children of Israel. Again, it seems to have been somewhat of a peaceful relationship that the nations enjoyed amongst themselves. Now, obviously, they were there. Well, how do we know? Notice in verse number 3 what it says. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Now think about this. If there is no one there but Jews, then you don't have to separate anyone from the congregation. If it's all Jews, if it's all Israelites, if it's all children of God, then, then there's nobody to separate from you and from your midst, from your association. So the fact that it says they separated from Israel, all the mixed multitude, lets us know that Israel 
had allowed the people of Ammon and the people of Moab in one way or another to enter into the congregation of God, though it had been banned in the law or the book of Moses. So think about this. The children of Israel, what are they? I'll make it simple. They're people. And, and it seems like they're trying to get their life in order, right? So we might say it like this. They're, they're not just people. They're good people. Now, I, I know that doesn't seem real exciting, but think about this. That they're people... They're good people who seemingly have some kind of a good relationship with others in the land who are not of their nationality, who are not of their religious persuasion. They have welcomed them into the congregation of God in one form or another, and now they're reading the words, Don't let them in. Not now. Not ever. Let me ask you. If you're a children or if you are a child of Israel, if you're a Jew in that day and you're reading those words, is it possible if you're a good person, you're thinking something to yourself, something like this? This is awkward. Oh, man, we had never heard that part of the law before. Man, all these years that the temple's been destroyed and neglected and only recently been rebuilt, and, and in all these years that we've not really been too uh, concerned about the law of God, my goodness, we've never heard that part of the law before. And we've let this people group in, and we've let this people group in, and there's this family, and there's this family, and there's this family, and, and there's this family that we've become friends with, and, and they've been a part of our worship, they've been a part of our service, and we've let them be a part of, of what we as Jews do. And, and now we're reading, don't ever let them in, not now, not ever. Whoa. This is tough. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be the one who has to tell them that. I don't want to be the rude one. I don't want to be the one who is so narrow-minded. I don't want to be that person. So do you see where Israel is at now? You know, back in chapter 10, not too long ago, one of the very first covenants they made with God is this is we will obey thy commandments and we will do thy law. So not too much time has passed after they've made this covenant. And you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, all right, then here's what you got to do. Separate yourself from those in the congregation that I banned from the congregation hundreds of years ago. It's a tough situation, no doubt. It is a difficult situation to find themselves in, no doubt. But what did Israel do? Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed 
multitude. They looked at the situation. They looked at what they had promised to do, what they had committed to do, what they had covenanted with God to do. And here's what they said. We have to obey like we told God we would. So I don't know how this happened. I don't know how this played out. I don't know how all this was orchestrated and how it was accomplished. But the children of Israel, as awkward as it was, had to go to those who they had assimilated into their worship or their service to some extent. And they had to say, listen, you can no longer be a part of the congregation of God and worship in the house of the Lord as we have let you do thus far. Can you imagine some of the questions that would have had to have been asked? Well, how come? Well, why not? Why are you doing this to us? Because this is what God's Word says. Can you imagine some of the logic? Can you imagine some of the reasoning that may have come from those who had already been, again, assimilated into the congregation and the service and the worship of the Lord? Can you imagine that they could have said something like this? Why are we being held responsible for what people did hundreds of years ago that we had nothing to do with? Listen, this isn't my law. This is God's law. I didn't write the law. I'm not the one who came up with this. I'm not the one who said not now, not ever. No, that's, that, that's God who said that. And in order for us to be right with God, as much as we don't want to do this, we have to do this. It's got to be done. It's not that we desire this. It's not that we have longed for this. It's not that we're, we're excited about this. But it's like so many other things in life. We're here. And it's clear that if we're going to be made right with God, then we have got to sever this relationship as it exists right now. This evening, I want to ask you a question. How many of us have ever known that in order to be made right with God, certain things have got to change? We've all been there, right? That if I am going to be right with God, this has to change, and it has to change immediately. I don't know if this would be your testimony or maybe just testimonies that I've heard from others that, that you can't relate to. But, but how many people have ever said something like this? I knew that in order for me to be right with God, I could no longer keep watching that TV show. You ever heard people say something like that? I just I knew it wasn't good for my spiritual life. I knew it wasn't good for my thought life. I, I just knew that it wasn't right for me anymore. So in order for me to be made right with God, I had to give up that TV show. People have said things like this. I know that in order to be right with God, I had to give up my music that I was so attached to. I've been there. 
That, that's not one of speculation. That is one of certainty. Because in my day, I loved country music. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I, I just, I was addicted to it. And there came a point in my life where I knew, okay, Kyle, in order to be right with God, you've got to get rid of the country music. Now, I'm not trying to preach against country music tonight. I'm just saying I knew for myself I could not continue listening to that and my relationship with the Lord be what it was supposed to be. There have been times in my life that the Lord has made it clear that in order for me to get right with Him, in order for me to be right with Him, I had to get over some of my attitude issues that I had. Because I've been known to have an attitude at times. So that in mind, whenever God has brought things into our lives, where He has said this must change and this must be addressed, in order for us to be right with Him, here is what every one of us knows. That it's not always easy to do what needs to be done to be made right with Him. Think about it. For the person who's struggling with that TV show, there's a reason why they watch it. Because they like the TV show. So it, it's kind of a challenge maybe for them to turn it off and to stop recording it, to, to stop watching it and to stop thinking about it. So there's a level of difficulty associated with that. I'll just tell you, there was a level of difficulty for myself associated with turning off the radio and not listening to the country music like I once did. I, I had it so ingrained in my system. It was a part of who I was. It was always running through my mind. And so to reprogram myself, so to speak, that was difficult. I'll just be honest, sometimes it's been hard for me to get my attitude right because I was enjoying my bad attitude. And you don't have to say amen to that, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was enjoying my bad attitude, and so for me to, to turn that around and to, and to give it up and to get a good attitude, there were some challenges associated with that. But let's think about this. Very seldom do those types of issues have a personal connection with them. See what I mean? The TV station doesn't care whether or not you watch their show. You're just one viewer, hopefully from their perspective, among millions. So it's not like you've got to go to the TV producers and say, hey, listen, Lord's really been doing a work in my life, and I'm going to have to turn you off, and I'm not going to be able to watch you anymore. And, and however the days of your lives end up, it's just it's going to be between you and however the writers do it, okay? We've not had to have that conversation. I never had to go to Garth or to George or to Randy or any of those people and say, guys, listen, I'm going to have to turn you off, and I can't buy your music anymore. They didn't care. They were still making millions off of other people. Wherever my attitude has struggled, whatever it's been associated with, I've not had to go to those big entities and say, my attitude's been wrong and I'm sorry and I'm here to make things right. I've not had to do that. So there are challenges associated with it, but it's not personal. But I want us to think about this. Because this is more relevant than most of us think about on a regular basis. How many of us, in order to be made right with God, know that certain relationships 
have had to come to an end. We ever been there? It's one of those things where we realize, okay, this relationship is not good. This relationship is not healthy. This relationship is not pushing me toward the things of God. No, my relationship with this person is just the opposite. It is unhealthy. It is ungodly. It is not helping me in my relationship with the Lord. It's not pushing me to those things that I say I value, to to those things that I say are important to me. And if you've ever been in a situation like this, you know as well as I do, that adds to a, to a complicated situation a whole new level of difficulty. Think about this. Some of those people are our friends, and they've been our friends for a long, long time. They're, they're people that we have, we have known for so many years. Maybe our kids have grown up together. Maybe we've, we've done special things with them over the years. And it's like the Lord says, okay, they're going a direction that is opposite of the direction I want you to go. And listen, you need to cut ties with them and you need to let them do whatever it is they're going to do because you need to go this direction. Let's be honest, that takes it to a whole new level of difficulty because now it's personal. We've got a relationship with them. I love them. I care about them. We've done so many things together. And, and, and here's what I know. Whenever I tell them that we're not going to be able to associate together like we once did, here's what I know. They're not going to understand. And I'm going to be the jerk in this. I'm going to be the one who's so narrow. I'm going to be the one who's gotten so serious all of a sudden. And let's be honest, it puts us in a difficult position, doesn't it? Sometimes it's not the friends. We know this. You're familiar with this. Can't surprise you with this. Sometimes the person we have to have that conversation with is a family member. kind of known you all my life. We're kind of together. It seems that all the same family functions and all the same events and, 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 and I hate it. But I just got to let you know we're not going to be able to be a part of this anymore. Well, why not? Well, because you're going a different direction and I've got to go this direction and it can be tough. To tell that family member that you love, that you care about, that you respect, that you want to honor, that the relationship's got to change. It, it gets tough because it's now personal. Have we ever been there? Well, it's no fun, is it? Now, I'm not saying this happens all the time. I'm not saying that this happens the majority of times. I don't begin to know what the numbers are. But here's what I have noticed, and here's what I have witnessed to be a struggle for myself and for others. That there are times 
when in an effort to be made right with God, a separation or a distancing from one person or a family that is loved by the individual. I've seen this struggle and I have seen this happen where they would rather maintain the relationship than to be made right with God. Have we ever seen this? I just love them so much, I, I just, I can't break the relationship. We've just got too much history together. I just can't do it. They're family. And if you can't be there for family, who can you be there for? That's some of the logic, is it not? What's the problem? The problem is this. Most people, like the children of Israel back in chapter 10, have already covenanted to obey the word of the Lord. So what does that person now find themselves in by way of position? They find themselves in this position of, will I do what I've said and obey the Lord, or will these relationships mean more to me than my obedience to God? That's the position they find themselves in. That is a position that I would assume many of us have found ourselves in over the years And it is a position that most likely we will continue to find ourselves in over the years because God allows it. Satan brings people into our lives that would try to be a negative influence on us, that would try to take us a negative direction. And they're people that, humanly speaking, we like them. They're nice people. They're friendly people. They're personable people, whatever it may be. God allows them to come into our lives. I don't know why everything works out the way that it does, but but they come into our lives and then God works in our lives and, and he says, okay, it's time for you to sever that relationship. It's time for you to end that friendship because they're not good for you. It's in those moments that we have to decide, is my obedience more important or is this relationship more important? Some of you know as well as I do how difficult it's been to make that break from the relationship. Some of you know that, don't you? Because you feel like in a way you are, I don't know how else to say it, but in a way it's like you're burying that part of your life. And that's not a fun position to find yourself in. But it's got to be done in order to be obedient. It had to be done in order to be obedient. It wasn't a desirable position, but it had to be done. And I'm just saying it'll continue to happen and it'll continue to take place. And a measure of our loyalty to God will be tested and determined by the relationships we will or will not keep in our personal lives. I don't know if this is making sense. I don't know if this is being communicated in the way that I I want it to. But I'm just saying we've been challenged and we will be challenged. 
And if we have made the commitment to serve the Lord, then we have to serve the Lord in spite of any relationship that may try to take us in disobedience to God's will. So will it hurt? Yes. Will it be difficult? Yes. Will there be some misunderstandings? Absolutely. Will there be some false accusations brought against us? Sure seems to be that way. But who do we want to obey? What relationship matters most? For myself, I want it to be, and for you, I want it to be, that if the separation is required, that the separation will take place. And that we'll be more concerned with obedience to him than we are about holding on to some relationship that God has said is not appropriate at this time. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I I don't know to what extent this thought has been conveyed clearly. Lord, I know how you spoke to my heart throughout the study of this and things of that nature. And so, Lord, I pray that the truth of your word has been communicated in a way that all of us can understand. And maybe, Lord, I I don't know, but maybe it's a truth that's hitting pretty close to home right now with some people. And they've been struggling as to whether or not they would be obedient to you or if they would hold on to a relationship that's been established that's just not right right now. God, I don't know what's needed, but I pray that you'd help us tonight and in the days to come to be obedient to your will. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.